0: Uh, the scripture tonight will be from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 18 through 20. Philippians four, eighteen through 20. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragment of offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory uh, forever and ever. Amen. Good evening. It is good to see you tonight. We're glad always that you're here, and it's great to be with you this evening. We bring our uh, study of the book of Philippians and Paul's perspective to an end. We are here in chapter 4, and we are in the last portion of this book. Our topic tonight, Paul's perspective, the goal of life. And Paul talks about that here as he proceeds to the end and close of this book, and we'll notice what he says from verses 18 down to the end of the the chapter. The first thing that Paul says here in verse number 18 is that God blessed Paul through the Philippians. The brethren there in Philippi were a blessing to Paul's life, and so in verse number 18 he says, but I have received everything and am full and in abundance. Now, how did he perceive everything who did that for him go back to chapter 2 and notice verse number 25 beginning Paul there says but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you and all was distressed because you had heard that he was sick for indeed he was sick nigh unto death Paul says But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent to him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, that I may be less concerned about you. The Philippians, through the uh, preacher Epaphroditus, went and sent to Paul needs. In chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me, but you only. They had— taking it upon themselves to share and give to Paul's needs. And Epaphroditus was the one bringing those goods. And so Paul says, I have received everything that I need. In fact, he says, I am full because of the Philippian brethren. It is the case that God's people are his instruments to bless his people. It's really always been like that. When God wants something accomplished for his people, he uses his people To accomplish that sometimes you hear people talk about his hands and his feet and his ears and his eyes and they talk about that being us that we are the ones that move on his behalf and ultimately bring his will to pass and you can see that throughout the Bible when it came to the building of the tabernacle go back to Exodus chapter 25 and note how this grand structure came into existence in Exodus 25 and verse number 1 and verse number 2 Moses says to the nation, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution. In verse number eight of that chapter, he says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Over in Exodus chapter 36, as they continue to bring and to bring and to bring the, the things necessary to build this tabernacle, in Exodus 36 and verse number 5, they said to Moses, the people are bringing too much. They are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform the work of contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. When it came to the building of the tabernacle, that's God's work. God's people provided. You'll find the same thing in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 44 to 45. They gave of their means for those in need. Chapter 4, 34 to 37 or 47, no man had any lack or want. They gave of their means. As we noticed last week, the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, that's how God blesses his people. The Apostle Paul has been blessed by the Philippians. He says, I have everything I need because of you. You have provided for me and your service to God in doing so. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus makes it a point to tell us that both the, those who please him and those who don't largely see and observe and participate in the exact same thing. If you read Matthew 25 from verse 31 to the end of the chapter, you will hear the Lord talking about the judgment scene, and you will hear him talk about the righteous and the wicked, and those on the right and on the left, and as you read the material, it will sound like the exact same thing is being said, and it is. When he talks about the righteous, beginning in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and he shall sit upon his throne, and verse number 32, before him shall be gathered all nations, and he will say to the sheep, verse 33. Well, when you start to read what he says to the sheep, he'll say to the goats. It's the exact same thing, but it's different. What's different is the reaction and the responses to what they saw to the needs that were present. Notice in verse number 40, verse number 40, the righteous will say in verse 38, when did we see you? When did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you or when you were sick and in prison? We, when did we see you that way? Verse number 40, the Lord said, the king shall answer saying to them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Now when you start reading from verse 41 you'll read the exact same thing. He will turn to those on the right and he will go through the exact same thing. I was hungry, I was naked, I was in prison, I was cold, you you visited me, you clothed me, you brought and they too say the exact same thing. Verse number 44, then they shall answer Lord, when did we see thee? And they go through the exact same thing. When did we see you hungry or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or, and visited, and we took you in? When did we do that? Verse 45, he shall answer them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it unto me. As Paul nears the end of this book, talking about his perspective and the goal of life, his life. He notes here that they have been a blessing to him. It's important for you to think about yourself that way. You are God's means of blessing his people. He uses his people to do that. But that brings us to the second point, and that is verse number 19. Because the reverse is true. God used Paul to bless the Philippians. Verse number 19, he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The supplying of the needs of the Philippians will be done through the Apostle Paul. Go back to chapter 1 and notice what he says with regards to his work and their work. He writes, verse number 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints which are in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy, my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident that of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in you shall complete it, shall perfect it even unto the day of Christ. Down in verse number 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, and this I pray. How were they blessed and benefited? Through the Apostle Paul, through Paul's preaching and teaching— His prayers, his perspective, the peace, the joy, all the things that he walks through the book and talks about. Chapter 3 and verse number 15, he says, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. Notice chapter 4 in verse number 9 and verse number 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if there is any excellence, if there is any praise or things worthy of praise, think on these things. And verse number 9 says, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice. They saw the Apostle Paul. They learned from the Apostle Paul. They emulated the Apostle Paul. God blessed the Philippians through Paul. He says, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus— the hope that's talked about in the book, the joy, the forgiveness, the resurrection, the peace, the perspective that Paul provides over and over and over again. Brethren, I want you to know the things that have happened unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Many, brethren, are become bold, having seen my bonds, and all the way through the book, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, as many as have this mind and are perfect. We are the circumcision. We are God's children. The things you've seen and heard and received and learned and seen in me, do those things. As you are God's vehicle of blessing others, somebody is designed to bless you. Who has God put in, your, in place in your life to bless you? Maybe you can think about people and individuals. Somebody who may be praying for you. You ever heard somebody say that to you? I'm praying for you. What a blessing that you're on somebody else's mind. And as Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I always remember God praying for you. Upon every remembrance, you're in my prayers. What a blessing and a joy to think and to know somebody when they petition the God of heaven, they have your name on their lips. Somebody is maybe providing you a positive example. That's what Paul did. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, things that have fallen out to me, fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. Maybe there's somebody in your life who continually provides a wonderful, proper, positive, spiritual perspective. Chapter 1, 21 to 26, if you talked to the apostle Paul, he would have given you that. Chapter 4, 11 through 13, if you talk to the Apostle Paul, whether he were in prison or freedom, he would have given you a good perspective. Maybe there's somebody in your life that every time you go to them, they put you right, they set your feet more solidly on the ground, and they steer you toward the right way, remind you of those things that are good and healthy and whole. Turn your attention back to God and to Christ. Maybe there's somebody in your life holding you accountable Wouldn't it be a blessing to have somebody, not a hypocritical, hypocritical judge, but a loving, helpful, accountable person that says, hey, are you all right? You know, the way you're going right there is not good. You know, man, I... I, You know I love you, but I cannot support you in that. Come on back. Come on, do the right thing. You know that's not right. You're better than that. God expects better than that. That's not the way. That's the Apostle Paul holding these brethren accountable. Notice chapter 2 and what he says. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose do nothing from selfishness maybe it's the case that sometimes we can get headed the wrong way we can get bothered and agitated irritated and isn't it good if somebody can hold you accountable maybe somebody who warns you watches out for you chapter 3 verse 1 and verse 2 finally my brethren Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the circumcision. Oh, you need somebody in your life who will tell you the truth in love, but the truth warn you sometimes. You're going the wrong way, friend. Come on back. That's what Paul is providing for the Philippians. He's encouraging them, chapter 3, verse 15, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, reminding them our citizenship is in heaven. Chapter 4 and verse number 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's Paul's goal? Well, the goal for both. And ultimately, his perspective is found in verse number 20. Whereas Paul nears the end of the book, he says this now, For to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's the perspective, Paul? You Philippians, God has used you to bless my life. Well, Paul, he's used you to bless our lives. What are we both trying to do? We're trying to glorify God. What's the purpose of life? Ultimately, that's it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 3. Acts chapter 17, 24 to 27, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him. Matthew 5, verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is ultimately the point of it all? It's to glorify God. But in order to do that, you got to have the right perspective. In order to do that, you need what Paul has talked about throughout the book, a spiritual outlook. A way to view reality and process it through the lens of Scripture and God and Christ. Just by way of reminder, I'll remind you of the word perspective and what it means. It means a way of regarding situations or topics. A mental view or outlook. That's Paul. He keeps turning us back to God, back to Christ. Christ is with Paul. God is working with and through Paul. God and Christ provide Paul's perspective, and God's truths determine Paul's reality. And so, no matter the circumstance, I find a way to glorify God in this. That's the goal. Paul, what if you're in prison? Go back again and read chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. I'll rejoice. Why? God is with me and in prison. You know what I can do? I can behave in such a way as to glorify God. See Acts 16, start at verse 25, and read on with regards to his interaction with the jailer. What about, Paul, when people don't do right? Chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. In pretense, they preach Christ. But you know what? Christ is preached and I rejoice, God can be glorified. Paul, what about persecution? Well, in persecution, I can commune with Christ because as he suffered, I get to suffer for him. And after all, for to me, to live is die, to live is uh, Christ and to die is gain. No matter the circumstances, I can glorify God. That's Paul's perspective. No matter the situation, Paul says, I'm empowered. To glorify God I'm not a victim of my circumstances no matter what the outside world does to me they don't determine my mental state and my approach to life and my reaction to what they've done and so I can be humble like Christ chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 I can let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus I can serve like Christ. Did Christ serve? Absolutely. Who Being in the form of God, literally, who being in Morphe Theos, who being in appearance, as you look at him, that's God in the flesh. And as such, he humbled himself and became obedient, took on himself the form of a servant, Aren't you amazed every time you read John 13? It is absolutely astounding that you could read John 1, 1 1-3 and read, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then read verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. Make it over to chapter 13 and read the words that the Lord took a basin, girded himself with a towel, and washed the disciples' feet. He took on himself the form of a servant. I am empowered to serve like Christ. It means I can work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. There's nobody between me and God. There's nobody between you and God. There's no one who can keep you from God. There's no one who can take you from God. You're empowered. It means we're God's children. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, we are the circumcision. We worship God in spirit and in truth. We worship him acceptably. It means no matter my state, I can glorify God. Paul, what if you are in the face of death? Chapter 1 and verse 21, well, that would be gain. What if you're in the face of persecution? I can only conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about opposition of the world? chapter 2, verses 12 to 15, I can shine as a light in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation? What about in poverty or prosperity? I've learned whatever state I am in, there were to be content. Paul, what can you do with this perspective? I can bless God's people. In fact, God can use me to be a blessing to others, and God can use you. Paul, what else can happen? I can be blessed by God's people. Look back on your life as a Christian. Think about the people, not simply the people that you have blessed, but the people that's blessed you, the people who have thought of you, the people who have given to you, the people who provided for you, the people who watched out for you, the people who've reminded you, the people who've served you in Christ. That's the perspective. And Paul, at the end, what's it all about? He says, listen, it's all about glorifying God. Paul says, that's my perspective. Brethren, as we close our study of this book, let me ask you, what's yours? What's your perspective on life,
1: on reality?
0: How are you processing and interpreting? How are you viewing and working through this life and this world? We have read the Apostle Paul's perspective on a great many things, and my prayer is that that Would be our perspective. As many of us who are perfect, let us have the same mind. It might be the case that you're not a Christian tonight, and if you are not, and the truth is you need to be, you need to become a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. There is nothing more, nothing less. There's just Christian. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we beg and implore you to be. Ultimately, if you were talking to the Apostle Paul, he would teach you the same thing. As he stood in chains before Agrippa, he says, I wish that everyone was the same as I am except these bonds, a Christian. How do you become one? You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I suppose if we were taking a few steps back, you'd need the perspective of the reality that you're going to leave here. The God who made this world is one day going to end it. And if you're still here before he does, friends, then chances are good. If he tarries, then you're going to leave it. One way or the other, you're getting into eternity. And if you arrive on the shores of eternity without the blood of jesus christ and friends you've absolutely missed the purpose of living find god before death finds you believe that jesus christ is the son of god change your heart and your mind the bible calls it repentance confess the name of jesus and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and let god change your life save your soul and as you grow in the grace and knowledge of him Have a perspective that is able to process and interpret this world and this life and the many uneven bounces of life's ball. So that in the end, no matter what happens, no matter who does it, no matter what state, I can give glory to God. Subject to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.